come flooding back. I put this song on repeat, just crying my eyes out. It made me feel so bloody alive. This song really nails a feeling of nostalgia for a place. And we all just stop talking and just stare at the radio. It's part of the noble genre of songs by women about masturbation. I love it, I love that song so much. Box. Meet people through their music with Ash Berdebez on FBI. This is just the most hilarious situation. This place smells like <laughs> textures. <laughs> we are high on the fumes and I'll tell you who we are in a second. Uh, so you might have noticed that we usually don't have musicians on out of the box, but today's guest has been a fixture in Australia's dance music scene for pretty much three decades. He's a multi-award winning musician, writer, performer, producer, remixer and composer, and he's basically a living item of dance, Australian dance music history, I guess, and I honestly have never seen a musician looking so bloody well chuffed on stage. <laughs> it's Paul Mack. How's it going, Ash? Oh, welcome on Out of the Box. Thanks oh, for coming oh, in. It's an honour. So, um, what kind of what kind of straits did we put you through in order to try and narrow down your life in music? It was really hard. I mean, because to do it in like ten or eight songs or whatever is really really hard. So actually, last night I got it down to about twenty five, and then this morning it was just brutal and got it down to about ten, I think. But yeah, it's it's, it's hard to fit a lifetime of music into that. <laughs> <laughs> well, how about we start with our first track? Because that's I guess we have to go in that order. Start with the first one, and we've got Quasimodo's Dream. Now, who's this by? This is by The Reels. It's um, the reason why I chose this song. It's because I think it's just one of the best, you know, Australian songs ever written. And it was at a time when, um, when I was growing up, it was so uh, guitars and synthesizers were really, really two different worlds. You either liked one or the other. You didn't like, you know, you had to sort of pick a team kind of thing. And yeah. I, I think. Um, that, you know, there was a, this hideous band called the Party Boys that used to have their merch was a t-shirt with um, an obviously gay-looking guy with a strange haircut and it had a circle going through it and, and, and their logo was there are no hairdressers from Melbourne playing synthesizers in this band. Oh, wow. Which is, you know, maybe hate that band. But then, but then so the, the reels come along and they were like one of those, wow, they've got synthesizers and they do mm. really strange stuff and they've got weird hair and he's mesmerising and... I love his voice, and yeah, this song's incredible.
on FBI 94.5. That was Quasimodo's dream. With the amazing voice of Dave Mason. And uh, you were lucky enough to kind of achieve a bit of a life dream recently. You've been making an album. Yep. I I was working on my album, Holiday From Me. Um, And uh, there was one song, like I kind of with my albums, I often do like the last song is kind of my, you know, the universe, life and meaning sort of song. Yeah, I, I tend to do that. And mm, I wrote, send you I, off on a good, on a good note. Kind, kind of, of and we're how I feel about the universe as we speak. <laughs> and um, I wrote this one um, called Not Even Jesus. And it was kind of, it It was reminiscent of Quasimodo's dream. Like I wasn't ripping it off, but it felt like, okay, this is my Quasimodo's dream. You know, I had the wall of breathy ah uh, thing going on. And I had this male friend sing it for me. It just wasn't working. I was like, oh, I really like the lyrics. I really like the music. I can't. It's just because it doesn't have fucking Dave Mason singing it. It doesn't sound <laughs> like the real. So I rang up Dave Mason and said, would you like to sing a song for me, please? And he did. And it was an amazing day in the studio. Yeah. Man, I think that must be the best bit about what you do is that you collaborate a great deal. Yep. You just, you know, ring in anyone who you, uh, who you dig. Yeah, actually, I've never really yeah had a no yet it's been kind of good so far <laughs> so when you're when you're thinking of a collaboration you know is it how, how does it work is it kind of like a, a blind date scenario it can be um yeah, yeah some, sometimes you just meet people out and about so oh, we should try and write a song together one day you know like we did that with megan washington on this album as well like she just popped over just to see what would happen and um we ended up writing a song in a day so and others are just like people that you really admire and respect and you know mm-hmm set up a blind date sort of thing and see if it works or not. <laughs> and I mean, as someone who does a lot of dance music stuff, it doesn't seem like you really go for people who are already in dance music. Yeah, because that's kind of pointless. It's, it's better to bring in fresh energy and ideas. And, and I really like working with people that you know aren't trained either, you know, because mm-hmm. they think weirder and then <laughs> I have to kind of make it work. So it kind of ends up balancing... So they don't have nicely. to, yeah. They don't have to run everything past the rational part of their brain, yeah, the educational kind of part of their brain. That's, that's Absolutely. So, "Holiday for Me" is your album that came out in April, mm-hmm. and ten years in the making. Yeah. Goodness me, <laughs> that's a long time for an album. So, what were you, what were you doing in that ten years? I'm sure it wasn't just ten years of making "Holiday for Me." Yeah. Oh no, like I, I was, you know, I, I do film scorey stuff, and I did like the Captain Kim movie. That's really funny. <laughs> um, uh, just you know, some work for Bangara. Co-wrote one of their um, performance pieces. Um, uh, some Frank Woodley did a show with him. Uh, lots of producing and writing for other people. Um, I'm actually I really hate the promotion side of the music thing. I really mm-hmm. hate doing photos and being out there. I like to just hide away. So I'm in the, I'm never in a hurry to put an album out. It's like it's only once it sort of feels fully formed and yeah. ready to go that okay, here we go. Let's do this thing. Having 10 years, though, being such a kind of a hardworking, prolific dude would have been kind of great because it means that when you have that next album, you've got a bit more of a pool of life experience to draw from. Absolutely. I mean, in the middle of that 10 years, it was a five-year relationship. So, that, like, half the albums, more than half of it is about that. So, I mean, you've just got to live a bit so you've got something to write about, you know. Mm. Do you think it changes the way that you live, knowing that maybe at the end of the day, when all said and done, you might turn it into art? I, I have warned my lovers that, that anything they say may be used in lyrics against them. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's a warning to everyone in Sydney yeah. who's fancying Paul Mac right now. Prepare to be written about. <laughs> so what, why is it called Holiday From Me? What's the, what's the title alluding to? Um, I think music can be used to get you out of... Uh, you know, your, the headspace that you're in. You know, it can really affect your mood, your emotion. I mean, you can do that in lots of ways. You can get drunk. You can do lots of things to change the way you're feeling. And m- music's a particularly nice way 
of going on a journey, um, you know, particularly, you know, about getting all hippie, you know, into the sort of present and sort of like getting out of just that sort of, that anxiety bubble that can sort of build up. And I just, I love, I love the role that music can have on your life. So I, I like the idea that, um, you know, I was you're having a holiday from myself, you know, like a, 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 via the music. We could all do that. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's fantastic. All right. Well, how about we delve right back into your past, way back, <laughs> way, 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 way back to ABBA. <laughs> ABBA um, was my first concert, which is like totally revealing my age now. But um, they <laughs> came out in, I don't know, 75 or 76 or something. And... Um, I so wanted to go. I was like 10 or 11 years old or something and just like really, really wanted to go. I was a huge fan. Um, I'm the youngest of seven kids, so the middle sister um, said she'd take me and she hated them. It was the uncoolest thing you could do as a 17-year-old or whatever was go to an ABBA <laughs> concert with your little brother. So we went to the showground or wherever it was and it was like pelting down with rain. It was one of those Sydney hailstorm sort of scenarios. And I, I, I was so small, I had like four plastic chairs stacked on top of each other and standing oh. on my tippy toes so I could see, you know, remotely see the band. Bless your tiny soul. <laughs> and then I looked down and my sister's like reading the Sunday paper with an umbrella, chewing gum, bored, shitless kind of thing, like but doing me the biggest favour. And, and to this day, she's, you know, sorry to the rest, but she's my closest sibling because she took me to see ABBA. But the weird thing about the concert, right, they did their greatest hits and then at the very end, they did this bizarre sort of future musical thing that they were working on at the time which is obviously Benny and Bjorn headed off doing chess mm-hmm. and writing musicals and stuff and this is it's like they did all their pop songs and this weird sh- theatrical <laughs> shit and which I can still remember to this day and you were just bamboozled at the time I was just, what is this what are you, what are you doing <laughs> I totally had a thing like that <laughs> but I, I can remember it when, when I went, did some research looking yeah. for this and then I, I found I could remember the name of the song and I, as, as soon as I played it it's like oh yeah that's right I remember that chorus I heard it once when I was 10 you know, and that's, I can still remember it. Forever. <laughs> awesome. Go, Abba. And FBI 94.5, it's Abba. <laughs> wow. Experimental Abba. Yeah. I'm a marionette. Same with the track. Paul Mack is my guest on Out of the Box today. <laughs> and he's loving this. <laughs> it's not even the fumes that's making us do this. He actually planned ahead to bring on Abba. Totally. <laughs>
of the box. <laughs> out of the box. On FBI.
perfection. That is just perfection in music. Craftwork brought by my guest on Out of the Box today, Paul Mack. And uh, why did you bring on this particular track? You had a, you had options? You had options? <laughs> um, because Craftwork was so revolutionary on so many levels. You know, like I've been learning to play the piano since I was like five. So for me, it was all... It was like you're the better musician meant the faster you could play and the better skills you had kind of thing. Yeah. Which is the sort of snobby conservatorium view of music. But then these guys come along with just like synthesizers and ideas and a look. And it was like, right, okay, this changes everything. And, then that, and I, I just want to get synthesizers from here on in and get rid of that drummer. And here we go. We're going down this road. Because you could do so, like those radical changes of headspace, all that sort of mental, radical, emotional upheaval like in an edit so so cool and you did study at the conservatorium of music in sydney so you were kind of very almost classically trained i guess very very formal training i, I couldn't find the right people to play with because they were all <laughs> like christians just like learning how to be you know um school teachers essentially so they were kind of conservative but then i found synthesizers and it was like okay i can do it all i can find some other people to work with awesome <laughs> Now, we were talking about your new album just before you heard from Kraftwerk with Home Computer. And so your your new album, you said, you know, there was a five-year relationship in the middle and then the kind of disintegration of that or the ending of that relationship is is giving the, the album a lot of its uh, lyrical fodder, I guess. Yeah. Not the first time you've used life experiences <laughs> for lyrical fodder. You might recognise this track. tempted to play the whole thing but basically we just want to get an idea of what we're talking about here big hit from when i was a kid yep. so it's a great number and i was listening to the lyrics the other day and thinking this is just a beautiful song you know someone's left a space in your heart and you've just got to you know you know get them back and, and feel that space again or something i think i had it wrong can you please tell me what inspired this song <laughs> um all right this is like a totally literally correct factual story i used to meet this guy up at you know the local gay bar and you know we were buddies so to speak and um we used to the code was you know do you fancy a game of pool which always meant let's play some pool have a couple of beers go home and get it on and then and that was going for a while and i was really enjoying it and i think falling a little bit in love as opposed to and it was meant not to be that um, so he pulled the plug one day when I went to the, the pub to meet him and I was just like pretty devastated. So the lyric, like literally the lyrics, like, you know, you came and said you goodbyes and I'm, you know, I'm just trying not to cry sort of thing and looking around the bar, just going, right, anyone, anyone. Who's just, next? Who's, I just need someone to fill the space <laughs> he left here and literally just, you know, right, you and sort of off I went and did it. But I think that's why I think the song strikes a chord with people because it, 
there's hurt in there and there's a sort of hunger and a, a kind of desperation in some ways but like and then when you're you know sung by the amazing peter morris it, it takes on this other kind of um intention and, and empoweredness or something about it which totally. is, yeah, I think is why mm. it kind of worked and I also think that you know if you are writing lyrics and having someone else sing them it really lets you write a Absolute. whole lot more <laughs> totally <laughs> totally it's not yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you're, you're essentially hiding behind Peter Morris it's like oh, it's just you know yeah. she's so empowered <laughs> nothing to do with me <laughs> true <laughs> it's such a banger <laughs> Well, we're playing that off YouTube, so I'll probably turn that down a little bit because it's not going to be its best form. Anyway, so that's that's Paul Mack featuring Peter Morris, Just the Thing, and now you know what that song's about. Uh, are there any other tracks off the new album that are, are worth bringing up? I mean, you've got um, FAQ. That might have a bit of an interesting backstory. Oh, that that was cute. That was more. That was because it was a, a you know a breaky uppy album. I wanted to put a sort of getting together e song. Mm-hmm. So um, and I I was literally working hanging out with Brendan McLean and Nathan uh, Hudson from Faker and we just came up with the idea of writing a song that was like a sort of first date so it's heaps of questions to each other and everyone's awkward and it's in a sort of gay bar setting and it's just like kind of painful (laughs) like just that sort of date night kind of thing so yeah that's uh frequently asked questions yeah great so I guess it's (laughs) the is is it the world's first gay duet I think so I thought I think it was but then Johnny pointed out to me that I think uh, there might be another one, but this one was written before it by far. Nice. Yeah, this is about three <laughs> or four years old. <laughs> right, well, it's time for our next track, which is your next track, which you have picked. I'm not going to take responsibility for this one. <laughs> it's Pink Floyd. Oh, uh, yeah. And uh, can you explain why you wanted to bring this one on the show? Because um, originally when I was sort of thinking chronologically and starting with ABBA, I was like, that then things got really strange at high school when, you know, um, you start to develop your tastes and start going a bit crazy and this one me and a friend had it was our favorite track and because uh, it's it's all just noise and it had a great title which was um oh god i can't even get the title right it's it? it's a long one you, it's a long one which something is, about scenery <laughs> or whatever right. um, I don't know. small furry animals gathering together in a crypt and it was like just crazy sounds and it was like well hang on what's going on here with music where what are you allowed to do that oh okay cool <laughs> So I sort of fell in love with Pink Floyd's album Amagama for a while, and this is off that. Come 
severed heads on your radio. Uh, Brought in by my guest, Paul Mack. I love severed heads. <laughs> um, that album was another sort of head blower. It was just that um, since the accident, that's off that. And you can sort of kind of hear the link between Pink Floyd and that, but it was that loopy, crazy demented and it's the kind of the more demented at just at that age as a you know teenager it was kind of like you know i'm crazier than you you know yeah I'm you so, want to prove yourself yeah you know music. there's that I things totally up, but understand. i was totally attracted to it mm. and then later on you know we actually became friends and then i played keyboards with seven heads live a couple of times and run the same label with um itchy and scratchy and yeah, yeah with you it's not like meet your heroes it's just collaborate with your heroes <laughs> bit lucky just lucky yeah so that was severed heads and before that you heard pink floyd and i double checked the track name it is <laughs> several species of small furry animals gathered together in a cave and grooving with a pict <laughs> of course that's Everyb- the track everyone name. knows that <laughs> <laughs> yeah sorry it slipped my mind momentarily so uh a bit of bit of a moment yesterday you had you actually had a bit of a, a bit of a bit of a teary moment but good tears so you were you were just you know trawling the interwebs and what happened uh yeah no i was i, I, I was in a bit of a sort of funk and i because i yeah had a bit of a thing going on and then somebody sent me um just this random link on facebook and it was like in the mix we're doing the i don't know was it the hundred or, or i can't remember the number but the most important australian dance tracks of all time mm. So I was scrolling down. I was like, oh, yeah, there's my friends. I remember that. That was really cool. Yeah, yeah, And then so it starts getting down to about 20 or something. It's like, hmm. They've forgotten like, me. Oh, we're not in here. Shit. Okay. And then sort of get down to 10. It's like, no, presets again. You know, da 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 And sort of get down to the bottom. It's like, number one was um, Itchy's Crutchy, Sweetness and Light. And I, I couldn't help but shed a bit of a tear because it was like a, it made my day. It was like, wow, people do love, people do connect with music on such a deep level when it's, such a gift to be able to actually share that thing with people and as, as your job it's like they're kind of there's nothing you know better and yeah. so yeah it was it was a really beautiful moment and yeah clearly just in case people don't know itchy and scratchy one half of that is paul mack <laughs> I, I was scratchy yeah <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, our, our guest in out of the box last week jace spiller brought on that track oh. and we cranked it we put it we pushed it right through the the no louder sticker we have on the faders <laughs> Way up. Just don't tell the program director that. <laughs> <laughs> so Itchy and Scratchy won a award, and it was the first in its category to ever win that award. It was the... Um, uh, the dance category for, mm-hmm. for the Arias. Um, uh, for, yes. yes. And so I didn't think we were going to win. <laughs> it's like. So you didn't prepare a speech? No, no. And, and uh, then suddenly you're sitting, you're <laughs> sitting in the... the entertainment center or wherever it was and suddenly like cameras start like zooming towards you like before they (laughs) announce it and it's like hang on it's either us or the band sitting next to us so it's one of us it's like oh shit okay i hope it's not us because itchy didn't even show up he didn't even want to (laughs) go and then so the camera comes zooming and then and they announce it and so i start running what in what felt like slow motion towards the stage and just like ah Wow. It's so when your legs just hollow out. Just and like, time, oh, I'm a balloon. Just, I'm going to the stage. Split right out, like <laughs> elasticized. And then got up there and then I thought, okay, well, let's use this moment. You know, it was all very subconscious. I wasn't I wasn't thinking a lot of stuff through, but it was like, well, okay, what what do I really want to say? And it was like, okay. At that time you gotta remember there was there was no dance music. Like um the record companies were really boring. This it was is really Yeah, it was really macho, it was really rock based, it was really kinda of boring, I think, mm. and corporate and, and they didn't have wrap their heads around dance music till way later. So when that sort of won, I was what I wanted to say was a bit of a kind of, you know, finger up to them, which is like 
kids. We did this in the bedroom with our own equipment, no money from record companies. Anybody can do this, you know, and it was like supported by public radio, DJs, the dancers. And then I just went on that stream of consciousness. So it was just like public radio, DJs, dancers, ecstasy dealers. And um, so what you actually said... You, what you actually said was, I'd like to thank the ecstasy dealers of Sydney without whom this award would not be possible. <laughs> well, you know, that was a bit controversial. And I didn't, <laughs> I didn't really set out to do that. It was literally stream of consciousness. And then but that year was also being sponsored by um, there's some uh, government program called the Drug Offensive, where it was like yeah. one of those sort of just say no campaign sort of things. Mm-hmm. So as you can imagine, I walk off stage and it's just like, right. Then you go straight into the media room and, um, you know, that's where you get grilled. And it was like, I got off stage and straight into that. It was like, oh, oh. no. <laughs> but it was kind of, I still... I still stand by the statement, you know. I yeah. think I love the fact that it was that do-it-yourself ethos of doing it in your bedroom without, you know, record company money's awesome. That's what everyone's doing now because there is no money and, and they are on your laptop, whatever. It's cool. Everyone can do it. Um, and, yeah, I, I just, I, yeah, I, I stand by it. It's all good. I'm glad you that. <laughs> and it made my career, frankly, because, you know, that... Oh, and then, then like, yeah, this led on. This led on. Then. Someone, someone asked after you, I believe. Well, that year, there was another um, band who were up for about 70 million arias being Silverchair, and um, Daniel had heard Itchy and Scratchy, and after, when he heard the speech, he went, I want to work with that ecstasy guy. <laughs> so, so, so I, I get a phone call from management saying, um, you know, Daniel would like you to do a remix of Silverchair. And so um, that was on their second album. So I did Freak um, and that was really fun. Yeah. And that's sort of started our friendship. And this is what we've got on your radio now. You listen to FBI 94.5 with my guest Paul Mack on Out of the Box today. My name's Ash Berdebez and here you go. It's Silverchair as remixed by Paul Mack.
Paul Mack has bought this track in and it's actually a remix that he did of a silver chair song, Freak. And God, you made it large. (laughs) (laughs) Sneaky little bit you tacked on the end there. I was in my noisy period at the time. So how was that working with Daniel Jones? I mean, you guys were the dissociatives for how many years? Oh, no, we just did one album album. um, and one tour. So, you know, I don't know, that's a couple of years. But before that, I played all the piano on uh, Diorama and... Young Modern and sort of helped with the production on that and went touring on Young Modern. That was another sort of part, reason why there was a gap for so long because I did the Silverchair album and then went, we toured around the world and around Australia for a bit, and which is kind of cool. I just sort of, I wanted to get away from my thing for a little bit and just do something else. Yeah. So um, that, yeah, that was a fun job for a while. So we've got another track that is probably just the weirdest <laughs> collaboration I've ever heard of. Mm. You know, that that was a kind of strange collaboration with Daniel Johns, but this is absolutely bamboozling. <laughs> Who is it? All right, so this is a bit of a mixed bag. So I was doing, um, the, I get a phone call from Kath and Kim saying, would you like to do the music for um, their film? Because I'd done some stuff with them for the Logies, or, and they're on Good Newsweek, or one of those shows that I used to do the music on. And so, um, I, yeah, I thought, okay, cool. What do you want to do? And they said, well, they, they had this great idea. They wanted to do a song called Chirpy Chirpy Cheap Cheap. And I was trying to work out who to, who to do it with. And it was a really cute song for a particular scene in the movie. So I thought, who do I who do I know that could do this? And then I thought, oh, Casey Chambers would be really good for the vocal. So I thought, okay, there's the vocal. Gave her a call. Yep, she's in. And then across the road from where I used to live, um, the bass player from Wolfmother also lived there so um and we became good friends so i was good friends with the rhythm section from uh, the original version of Wolfmother. so i said you guys want to do this weird song i'm doing for kath and kim so the rhythm section is Wolfmother. the vocalist is um casey chambers and it's called chirpy chirpy cheap cheap oh it's just obscene Wolfmother, casey chambers paul mack <laughs> kath and kim who'd have thunk it <laughs>
rightly call that a banger? <laughs> I don't know what to call it. It's bizarre. That's what it is. Yep, that was Paul Mack, <laughs> Wolf Mother and Casey Chambers uh-huh. for Kath and Kim. Together at last. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's an all-star cast, but I'm not really sure. That's weird. Like, you do that production and like they used about 20 seconds of it in the film and that's it. <laughs> so it's kind of like, all right, this whole production number. But anyway... That was funny. Oh dear. <laughs> well, okay. When I was when I was looking at some stuff online that you know you'd penned, I found a little bit of a think piece that actually really interested me because I didn't really th- I didn't really grow up in the gay scene. I didn't mm. know you know why it needed to exist. You needed to have places to go and dance. You know that wasn't that was my life. But I found it really interesting. You were writing about the the gay scene and how it's kind of the gay dancing is kind of falling apart a little bit. It's kind of on the on the decline. Yeah. I mean, for those to extent, I was asked to write a piece um, on gay nightlife or why why people aren't going out as much to gay nightlife sort of venues and which is i was just trying to think well why what what what's different now to when i was growing up you and know? is it as simple as the lockout laws really bug well, it up oxford yeah, street well there's that's definitely a part but even before that you could feel you know needs were changing i suppose like when i was you know in my early 20s uh, to if you wanted to experience your gayness um it was kind of the easiest way of doing that was to go to a gay bar and mm-hmm. um you know that meant you know that sort of came with a lot of different things it was a real community point like you know at that point there was also the whole you know aids epidemic happening which people needed to sort of draw together with their resources and there'd be like bake-offs and charity things and you know somewhere to have a cry after the candlelight vigil to remember people that had died like there was a real function to the you know the ghetto apart from just safety in numbers it was a real cultural coming together point um you know, I think with advances in medicine, that's not as crucial anymore. I and think, with advances in technology, yeah, I suppose. Well, and people, you know, would rather, you know, hook up via an app than going to, you know, a, a bar. That's that's fair and valid as well. But I think, you know, the ultimate goal of equality means that you don't need a ghetto. You know, if you're, you know, if, if I was look, talking to 23-year-old Paul now, you know, it, it just wouldn't, it, you know, it's always going to matter, and you're still going to. There's always danger of getting bashed and harassed and whatever if you're outnumbered. But you know, I think more and more um, uh, people growing up now, you you don't need the ghetto because it's okay to be gay. You know, your friends don't care as much. You know, it's it's more. That's what equality is. So, kind of part of winning the battle is losing the ghetto. So, I think that that's you know. It's a happy sad. Yeah, it's, yeah. Plus, yeah. yeah. That's cool, but it's just all about finding good music, really. Yeah. <laughs> Actually, what do, you, what do you think of, you know, when you go out to Oxford Street these days, what do you think of the music that you hear there, by and large? I mean, generally, it's awful. It's, just, it's you know, <laughs> gay music. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand it, but it's very, it sounds like this, and it's not what I like to listen to. Yeah. But, you know, having said that, that there's always the um, queer community that are doing cool stuff in, you know, like, uh, in warehouses and and off the the strip, you know, that are more sort of you know like kooky and bad dog and things that are, 
not every week, you know, that is sort mm. of monthlies or whatever or seasonal parties that, that are totally worth waiting for. And, you know, I'm, I've... The, the Imperial's amazing. Yeah, because you run a night there. Yeah, well, but the that's, you know, they've, it's totally embraced its techno-ness because it's, you know, not locked out yet. But, you know, it's also trying to support, you know, keep the gay part of the community involved in it. You know, mm. so like Matt Format does a cabaret night there. Um, Johnny and I, who are stereogamous, we do every Sunday. Uh, <laughs> our... our um, our party's called Strobe Light Unicorns. Oh, wow. <laughs> Actually, there's, there's another night, night that you put on, I think. It well, might be, is it Vogie Bear? <laughs> Vogie Bear. That is the best name for a night <laughs> ever. It, well, it's, it, <laughs> it came from a joke where we were hanging out with Sean, our, our vocalist, who is a voguer, and um, we're trying to go, you, that, you know, that guy over there, like the, the Vogie Bear guy, because <laughs> that's how he was dancing. So it became the name of our night. So that's so, a so stereogamous thing. And that's a Tokyo Sing song at the Marlboro tonight. So, um, for people who don't know what voguing is, voguing is, if yeah. they've been left behind somehow. Oh, it's too late. <laughs> you can't what, catch yeah, up. Yeah, go to YouTube, <laughs> voguing balls. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, and we just, so we just try and play really good techno um, for, you know, music lovers and hopefully, you know, the gay community as well. So, it's, it's, it's provide a safe space for whoever to be, whoever they want, wherever they want, listening to good music. That's what we're trying to do. Yep. Awesome. I applaud your efforts. <laughs> and now we've got a track from Björk. Yeah. Which I, one? Um, I really like Lion's song. I find, yeah, I find it, this one came about once again because somebody sent, a, sent me a link on Facebook talking about the Madonna album and I've, I've tried to listen to it. Just, you know, I went to Spotify and just, oh yeah, I should have a listen and see what she's doing. And it was uh, just so awful. Like by about track three, uh, I just couldn't go any further maybe it's a grower I, was, I think <laughs> the lyrics were just so horrible and just like so like garbage and any I, examples I, any uh, it's, it's, there's about? that one about you know sniffing glue and, and, and I don't know whether she was being ironic but I didn't care enough like and, and what what? so if Lord has come home doing that sniffing glue would you approve <laughs> oh, like it was, it was, she was probably being ironic but like I don't care it's just such a dumb lyric for somebody like her of her age to be singing about and then I thought well and who should I listen to Björk, she's about, you know, let's say probably the same kind of age bracket, but she's still writing incredible lyrics, you know, like, and this song in particular, you know, like, I'm not, I'm not trying to tame no lion. Like, it's obviously, it's the breakup album with, you know, Matthew Barney, her previous partner, and um, a, a really good friend had recommended it, and it was like, I think a lot of it was diary notes, like, as the relationship was, you know, doing its thing, and um, just, you know... First, it was simple, one feeling at a time, you know, like just the way she talks and then it gets complex and dealing with that is maybe that's what maturity is, you know, and it's like, oh, God, intelligence in, in you know, well, it's not really pop music, but it's just like you can be an artist and you can evolve and you can t go with, take your audience with you and write really beautiful things, really deep, thoughtful stuff that that is still, you know, Is this thing that Bjerg says that I quite like it's you know we shouldn't be calling it pop music we should be calling it folk music because it's the music of the people genius yeah she is a genius Maybe he will 
absolutely stunning. That's Björk on your radio, FBI 94.5. And for the past hour, you've had Paul Mack on on your radio choosing the tunes. It was of the box. fun taking over for an hour kind of thing. <laughs> I thoroughly enjoyed it. It was an education. Oh, good. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for coming in. And if you want to listen back to the show, it'll be on On Demand in about half an hour. Or give us a couple of hours and we'll pop it up on the podcast.